You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. standing I'm going to read a couple verses from Paul's letter to the Romans Romans chapter 1 1, verse 15 and 16 the Apostle Paul was the Apostle to the Gentiles but he'd never yet had the opportunity to go to Rome and he explained in his letter he'd had so many needs prior to Rome so many areas that didn't have the gospel yet that he was working his way towards that He was delayed in coming, but eventually he hoped to get there. And so he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so he says here, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed. In, in a, that's kind of an a, a understated way, I'm confident in the gospel. And that's what I'm preaching today, confident in the gospel. You may be seated. Now, if your eyes didn't glaze over when uh, you were reading all those technical details from Pastor Carter about my biography, uh, I was planning, uh, my undergraduate degree was in mathematical sciences, so I was going to be a mathematician or computer scientist or something like that. And then I wasn't sure that was what it was supposed to be, so I decided to add business and accounting, uh, managerial study. I was going to be a CPA. And then I decided, well, I wasn't really sure about that, so I was going to be a lawyer. And so I went to law school and graduated to be a lawyer. And the Lord has somewhat of a sense of humor. I think he took me on that route. And then he called me to preach uh, after all that. So... uh, you know, lawyers do a lot of good for people. You, you probably have lawyer jokes up here. It's really quite unfair, all the uh, negative things of lawyers. It's only the 99% that give them a bad name. But, uh, but, but when you need a lawyer, you, you like them. You want them. You, know, you want them to do a good job. But the best lawyer in the world sometimes has to look you in the eye and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. We lost our appeal, and there, there's no more appeal. Uh, we've negotiated, and this is the best we can get. You know, the best doctor in the world, and, and I appreciate doctors. They do a lot of good for us. But the best doctor in the world sometimes says, I'm sorry. There's nothing more I can do. You've got maybe a few weeks, and we've tried everything, and it's not working, and I don't have anything else for you. Uh, the best counselor in the world, and I appreciate counselors. But occasionally they would say, we don't know what else to do. They might say, I think your marriage is irretrievably lost. Uh, I think your son or daughter, they're, they're addicted and I've tried everything and there, there's nothing more I know to tell you. So the best people in the world at some point or the other reach the limit of their ability and they just kind of have to shake their head, shrug their shoulders, give you the sad news. But I'm not coming here as a doctor or a lawyer. I'm coming to you as a preacher. 
And I can say confidently, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. I don't have to back up one inch. I don't care what your problem is. Jesus Christ has the answer. I don't care how deep the sin, Jesus can forgive. I don't care how strong the addiction or bondage, Jesus can set free. I don't care how dysfunctional or destructive or anti-biblical the lifestyle, Jesus Christ can give you a new life. Jesus can restore your marriage, your family. Jesus can give you a new beginning. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation. If only you'll believe. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So I've been to St. John before about 10 years ago, uh, but I can go to St. John even though I'm an American citizen and don't know a whole lot about Canada and Probably can't relate to some of the things that you're familiar with. But you know what? I don't care where it is. The gospel will work. So the Apostle Paul, now think about this. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. He works of Jesus who had been crucified by Roman soldiers. Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. It was the powerhouse, uh, the seat of power in Paul's world. The richest, most famous, and most educated, and most powerful people lived in Rome. In fact, according to history, eventually the Emperor Nero would be responsible for the execution of Paul. So you could imagine Paul taking an approach somewhat like this. You know, we've had great revival in Judea among Bible-believing people. And we've extended the gospel into Asia even into Greece, it's, it's been a challenge with all the, the philosophers, but we've had some converts, we've established some, some good churches, and so eventually I'm going to go to Rome, and I realize that it will be difficult to have great results in Rome. Uh, I, I realize I'm pre- preaching a crucified Christ, and the Romans are going to say, well, we killed your, your deity, so uh, you know what, what else do you have to offer us? And if your deity was so great, how come we're ruling your people? Uh, how come God's uh, supposedly chosen people are subservient to the mighty Roman Empire? And it's God's. Uh, and so I, and Paul would, could have easily said, you know, I know it's going to be challenging, but we'll do our best. We'll be faithful. We'll have church. We'll, we'll do our best. But Paul didn't take that kind of humble, meek uh, approach. He said, I can't wait to get there. With everything that's in me, I long to go to Rome. I've been prevented by the will of God, but as soon as God lets me come, I'm ready to come to Rome and preach because I know the gospel will work even in Rome, especially in Rome. Praise God. He was confident in the gospel. It reminds me of the story in Acts when Paul was arrested and he was brought before Roman governors and before King Agrippa. And, uh, you know, he preached before the king. Now, he was on trial for his life. So if it's any time to be diplomatic, that would be the time. You know, let's just imagine. Okay, 
I guess the, the Prime Minister of Canada is still Justin Trudeau, is that correct? What if you got a call saying, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau requests the honor of your presence at an upcoming state dinner, and uh, you will sit next to him? Or let's say King Charles decides to take a trip to Canada, and you are elected to represent Canada, and you are sitting next to King Charles. Would there be at any point in your discussion with the prime minister or with the king that you might interject, you know, I'm Pentecostal, and I have the Holy Spirit, and I would really like for you to receive the Holy Spirit. I would hope somewhere in there you would share your testimony. But that would be a very bold thing to do, wouldn't it? And you would be very subtle and diplomatic. Uh, would you say... Uh, Mr. Prime Minister or King Charles, you know, you really need what I have. I mean, you're, you're the most powerful person in the country, but you don't have what I have. I have the real power. What you need is what I have. Would that be your approach? That would be extremely bold, wouldn't it? Well, the Apostle Paul was not at a state dinner. He was on trial for his life. And he's preaching away, and the king says, my you almost persuade me to be a Christian. You, you've almost got me convinced. And Paul says, oh, king, I wish you were not only almost. I wish you were altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Oh, king, you need to be like me. You need to have what I have. You need the power that I have. You think you're powerful, but I wish you had everything I have because what I have is what you need. What I have will change your life. Talk about confident. Paul was confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need that same confidence. This is a missions conference. And so naturally, we're going to be talking about churches across the world that we support and across the province, and across the country, and across the continent. But we should also be talking about across the street, and across the neighborhood, and across town. And I'm not saying to be obnoxious. I am use wisdom, but I'm saying you have a testimony, and you should be confident in the gospel. As your coworker or your fellow student or your neighbor is talking about the problems of life, inside you should be a confidence I have what they need. And if there's an opportunity that comes, it's fine to say, well, I'd like to invite you to my church. Or I would like to invite, uh, you know, I'll bring a prayer request to my church. Or my pastor will come visit you and pray for you. All that's appropriate. But sometimes, Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe. At some point, talking on the phone, or talking in person, you might say, would you like for me to pray with you right now? Because it's time to be confident in the gospel. It's time to believe that the gospel works. Jesus Christ still, still heals the sick. Jesus Christ still saves sinners. Jesus Christ still changes lives. Let's have confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Of course, we know some won't receive it. 
But we should have this thought in our mind, if I can only get them to believe, if I can only get them to open up, if I can only get them in an atmosphere where the Spirit of God is moving, I'm confident that Jesus Christ will show up. God will do his part. I don't have to worry about that. I can brag on God. I can promise that God will work. And if they will just open their heart in the slightest degree, God will meet them right there and a miracle will take place. We need to be confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we make faith so much bigger than it really needs to be. If we could just get an understanding of how great our God is, we would understand how easy it is to be confident, not in our ability, not in our eloquence, but in the power of the gospel. I'll tell the students, especially those who call to preach, you know, when you think about preaching, so here we are, and I've got maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and I'm going to get excited. I will elevate my voice. I will, in, in the eyes of the world, I'll yell at times. I'll, you know, I'll get beside myself. And there could be somebody who's struggling with alcohol addiction. There could be a marriage that's getting ready to fall apart. There could be someone who's choosing or has chosen what is called an alternative lifestyle. But it's really not that great. And they don't think there's any way. They think they're born that way or they're made that way and there's no hope. And all of us, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all face the struggle with sin. It sounds rather presumptuous, Pastor Carter, that people with major life issues of many years standing, that I could come up here for about 30 minutes and jump around and yell and scream and it will change their whole life. What's the chance of that happening? But it happens every week. Not because of the eloquence of the preacher. Not because he's yelling. Not because he's jumping around. But because the message he preaches has power to change human lives. So young man or young woman, if you feel a call of God to preach the gospel, have confidence in the gospel. If you're intimidated to stand up for a crowd, remember this one thing. If you get some good scripture in there, it's bound to do some good. Because God's word will not return void. So don't, you know, study your best and practice and try. But at the end of the day, don't worry too much. If you've got some good scripture and you can explain it, then it's going to have effect. Because the power is not in you. The power is not in your eloquence. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It still works in the 21st century. The gospel has power to change lives. See, what we should understand is the power of faith is in the object of our faith. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We, we're believing in the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. We're believing in Jesus Christ himself as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. God manifested in the flesh. That's where the power lies, not in us, but in the object of our faith, Jesus Christ and the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned earlier, I was raised in Korea. It's not a Christian country, although there's a strong Christian movement now. But if you think about it, and I look back in amazement, when my parents went there, our family of four, we were the only United Pentecostal people in the whole country. There was no organized church that preached what we preached. So that country at that time, 40 million people, 
when we landed there, we're the only people who believe what we believed in the whole country. And we were there for five years before we came back the first time. And during those five years, we had three preachers from North America to visit us. That was it. And so it was a very isolating time. And I look back in amazement that my parents had this confidence that they could go to an entire nation and preach and something would happen. And of course, the United Pentecostal Church of Korea exists today as a result of that. There's power in the gospel. I remember visiting, there's a a large, famous Buddhist temple in the city of Seoul. And I've different times gone there. It's, it's It's really a worthwhile sight to see. And this large temple, and there's a, a, a big statue, a metal statue of Buddha. And people would come from all over the city with their prayer requests. And they would come hanging paper lanterns that represented prayer requests. The yard would be filled with these lanterns. And you just think each one represents a prayer request. And they would come, and some would light incense, some would light candles. They would bring garlands of flowers as an offering. They would bring fruit, other food as offerings. And I would watch them as they would come before the giant statue. And they would raise their hands above their heads. And they would slowly bow to the floor in the elaborate Korean bow. Till their whole body was prostrate on the floor. Their forehead was touching Slowly, silently. They might do that 50 times. Now, that's faith. I'm not saying this to disparage them. That's sincerity. That's faith. But I would watch when they would turn around and leave. The same expression was on their face. No change. No healing. No forgiveness. No deliverance. No power. They had faith. So what was the problem? Their faith was in a man who died thousands of years ago. He was buried. He's still dead. Their faith was in a giant metal statue. It had eyes, but they couldn't see. It had ears, but they couldn't hear. So all the faith in the world did not change their circumstance because the object of their faith had no power. Now, we focus on trying to build great faith. If we don't have enough, we go frantic of how to get more faith. But if we had stopped thinking about that and have confidence in the gospel, have confidence in Jesus Christ, because the power of your faith is in the object of your faith. The power of your faith is not in your brain or your personality or your ability. The power of your faith is what you believe. And if what you believe is true, there's enormous power in the truth. If the one you believe is the true God, the almighty God, then he has all power. So even a little faith opened up to the great big God could result in a miracle. So when we pray...
When we give, when we testify in our daily lives, we should have an inner confidence that I know the king of the universe. I know the almighty God. I'm in daily communication with the God of miracles. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Something can happen this morning. If we will simply believe. You see, salvation means deliverance from all the power and effects of sin. Everything Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. Everything we've lost because of sin in our lives or in the human race or in the planet. God will reverse. Now, ultimately, those blessings will be in heaven. But it starts right here and now. Everything. Thing that sin has caused, the gospel will reverse. God will deliver us from all the power and effects of sin. The power of the gospel is past, present, and future. Now think about this. You know, we human beings cannot change our past. If you've lied on somebody and you've gossiped on somebody, you, you can't unsay those words and put them back in your mouth and as if it never happened. If you've been unfaithful to your spouse or you, you can't undo that. If you killed somebody, you can't bring them back to life. Sin has consequences. And so we have this old saying, no use crying over spilt milk. I mean, you're not going to be able to pick that milk up and put it back in the garden. It's gone. But the gospel is so powerful. It can change our past. When you come to God and you repent of your sins, when you're baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ, it's more than a ceremony. It's more than the preacher. It's more than the water. That's why we always call the name of Jesus Christ because we know the real power is in the blood of Jesus and that Jesus Christ actually shows up and he washes away our sins. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We now have the, the Holy Spirit of God. And when God looks at us amazingly, he doesn't treat us as a sinner. In his eyes, we're not the fornicator. We're not the liar. We're not the murderer. We're not the person who's prejudiced and filled with hatred. But we've been wiped clean. And God treats us just as if we had never sinned. That's so incredible. It's hard for us to wrap ourselves around that. You know, if we had a bad attitude and we repent, we can feel, oh, yeah, you know, God forgave me because I'm basically pretty good anyway. But when we've committed a horrible sin, it's hard for us to even imagine that God could, could overlook that. He doesn't overlook that, but he paid the price for that. And we can claim that now we have a new beginning because God has changed our past. Of course, it doesn't stop there. Many churches say that God forgives, but they think Christians have to sin every day. Can't help yourself. But the gospel's power comes into the present. The same gospel that delivers you from past sin will give you power to live a holy life so that, yes, today you can do the will of God. You can resist temptation. You can rise above sin. 
And if for some reason you do succumb and you fall in sin today, as soon as you recognize what you've done and conviction speaks to you, you can get back up and say, Lord, no, I do not want to be that kind of person. No, I do not want to live that kind of way. Lord, please forgive me. Change my attitude. Change my heart. Change my spirit. And you can keep right on going in the power of a holy life because God will change your present And the same power that's working now will take you the rest of the way. Have you ever wondered, especially when you hear some some terrible tragedy or some terrible trial, and you say, I don't know if that happened to me. I don't think I could make it. I don't think I could endure. I don't think I'd overcome. Don't think like that. Because God's grace is sufficient. Whatever you go through, you may not have the power, but God will give you the power. So here's how you can know you're going to heaven. If you're in right relationship with God today, you're living by faith. The same faith that you have right now will take you the rest of the way. So you can have confidence, not in yourself, but in God. Don't worry, am I going to heaven? Well, are you living by faith today? Are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you born again? Are you pursuing holiness? Do you love the Lord? Are you worshiping God? Well, that same relationship of faith that you have today will help you tomorrow and the next day and the next week. And no matter what happens in this world or no matter what happens in your life, that same faith will bring you the rest of the way until Jesus Christ comes for his church. You can be confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be confident in your flesh, but you can be confident that the same God who forgave the sins of the past and the same God who's helping me overcome sin in the present, the same God will bring me all the way to heaven at the coming of the Lord. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be confident in the gospel. The gospel is for the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. We're not just disembodied spirits. We're created with bodies. That's why we believe in healing for the body, healing for the mind, healing for the spirit. Healing for the whole person. Restoration for the whole person. So if someone's sick, the book of James says, call for the elders of the church. Pray. God will raise them up. You say, well, you know, I've been prayed for. I'm not healed. We'll just keep praying. We do know that not everyone is miraculously healed. But we do know there is a process. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes it's progressive. But in every case, we just trust God. And we do know that in this life, sooner or later, we're all going to die of something until the coming of the Lord. Perfect healing will be when we wake up on the other side. So whatever healing we don't get here, we are going to get up there. It's just a matter of time. We're just in the process, but the gospel is for the whole person. There's power in the gospel. We can be confident in the gospel. Now let me just... Hasten to say, how does that gospel work? It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. But if you'll notice, believeth, King James, believes is present tense, continuous. The next verse, Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live by faith. It's not just a one-time confession. It's a relationship. It's a way of life. 
Verse 17 says they will go from faith to faith. You start in faith. You continue in faith. You conclude in faith. You live by faith. Faith involves trust. Faith involves obedience. Romans 6, 17. It says the same book, same author, same Holy Spirit inspiring it. says, but God be thanked that you were, past tense, servants of sins. But you've obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered you. So they used to be slaves of sin, but obviously they're not slaves of sin now. They've been saved from sin. How? Because you obeyed the doctrine. Now, is that two different ways of getting saved? Romans 1 says, well, if you believe the gospel, you'll be saved. Romans 6 says, well, if you obey the doctrine, you'll be saved. It's the same message. Because if saving faith is not merely intellectual acceptance. You know, in the English language, the word believe is a very weak word. So we go outside and the sky's overcast, so they tell me in St. John. And uh, you say, I believe it's going to rain. Well, you're not staking your life on it. Just, it's my opinion. Yeah, probably. You know, maybe, maybe not. May hold off for the rest of the day, but I believe it's going to rain. You're not emotionally committed. Your life is not committed. You just have an opinion. Well, there's a story, I think it was a true story, Niagara Falls, years ago, there was a tightrope walker, and uh, they would do performances and walk, they would string the tightrope on the top of the falls and walk back and forth, and great crowds would be attracted. It's quite an amazing spectacle, I can imagine, because if you slip, you know, you're dead. And so they would get the crowds to cheer them on, and one guy got a wheelbarrow, and he says, I'm going to push the wheelbarrow across in front of me on this tightrope. How many people think I can do it? Well, of course, everybody's cheering him. Do it. Go ahead. Yes, you can do it. We believe you. Probably some Bible school kids. And so he, he points to the guy that was cheering on the most and says, get in the wheelbarrow. This will be the trip of a lifetime. Something to tell your grandkids. But shockingly, of all the thousands of people who believed him, not one took him up on the offer to get in the wheelbarrow and be pushed across. There's a difference between standing on the sidelines saying, yeah, you can do it. I believe you. Sure you can. And saying, I will commit my life to what I believe. So when the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, is it saying, stand on the sidelines with your arms folded and says, Go, Jesus, yeah, you can do it. Or is it saying, I commit my life into your hands? Faith involves obedience to what you profess. So for you guys that are taking notes, let me just close the loop. What's the gospel? What's the good news? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again to give us victory. That's the gospel that you must believe. It's the gospel you must obey. Well, you're not supposed to just believe what happened 2,000 years ago. You're supposed to obey. Well, how do you do that? Well, Acts 2 has the answer. On the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the Christian church, 
The apostle Peter stood up. All the other apostles were standing with him. This is pretty significant. This is the only place in the whole Bible where you have all 12 apostles standing at the same place, the same time, preaching the same message and ending how to be saved. And notice, again, if you take the time to read Acts 2, the apostle Peter preached the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel. At the conclusion, and this is the power of the gospel, because I've, I've often thought about this. A few weeks ago, a huge mob of some of the same people cried out, crucify him, crucify him, and they crucified Jesus. What gives the apostle Peter the idea he can stand up before those same people and say, you're murderers? What's getting ready to happen to him? But the power of the gospel works. They're convicted of their sins. And they cry out and they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then the apostle Peter gives the answer. You know it in Acts 2.38. We die to sin in repentance. We're buried with Jesus Christ in water baptism. We rise to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, that begins the new life. So there you have the answer. If you want the gospel to work in your life, you must believe that message. But then believing involves obeying what you believe. You must repent of your sins. You must be baptized in Jesus' name. You must receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then you will experience new life for yourself. Not just because somebody said so, because it happens to you. And then you can be confident in the gospel. The gospel work. And the reason why we have a missions conference is we believe this message will change lives. We believe if we raise some funds and send missionaries and plant churches around the world and in our own backyard, it will actually change human lives. We will change communities. We believe it works. We believe it's real. We believe people will be healed, saved, delivered. And I'm happy to tell you I've had the privilege of seeing it work. I've had the privilege of preaching in most of the major cities of North America and many around the world. And I've had the privilege when I was a pastor personally preaching to Muslims. It's really pretty amazing to baptize a Muslim in the name of Jesus Christ. See them come out of the water, lay hands on them, and see them start speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. It's pretty amazing to baptize a Buddhist in Jesus' name and to see them receive the Holy Spirit. It's pretty amazing to talk to an agnostic or an atheist and see them come to God. I, I, if I had time, I could tell you testimonies of people just like that in every category. I've, I've seen all of those being saved. I've seen Catholics saved, Protestants saved. I've even seen Pentecostals saved. That's important in New Brunswick to try to save some of these Pentecostals. The gospel works. So I was preaching in Ohio a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. This lady comes up to me and she says, I'm a Presbyterian minister. But she says, I was sitting in church. She says, I was the proverbial frog in the kettle. If you know that, it's the, the idea the frog is in the kettle and you get the water, get hotter and hotter until it's boiling. Since it's happened so gradually, the frog doesn't know it and dies. And so that's the parable of how that can happen to us. She said, I was the frog in the kettle. I didn't realize how much my church was changing until she said, one day, the church I was attending invited the Wiccans to come have a ceremony. And they did their pagan 
demonic celebration on the communion table. She's then I realize I got to get out of here. I got to find a church that preaches the Bible. So she goes and finds one of our United Pentecostal churches. And she attends. And she loves the worship. But what really stirred her is they were preaching Jesus Christ. Now, she didn't understand all apostolic doctrine, but this is a church that's preaching Jesus. And so she keeps coming. Now, you might think, what are the chances of converting a Pentecostal, I mean, a Presbyterian preacher? Well, have confidence in the gospel. So through the preaching, she was convinced that she needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So she told me, Pastor, baptize me in Jesus' name. She said, when I came up out of the water, she said, I didn't know this was going to happen. I didn't think it would happen to me. She said, I started speaking in tongues. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. Have confidence in the gospel. You look at the atheist, say, no way. You look at the denominational preacher, say, no way. But the gospel will make a way because the gospel still works for anybody and everybody. Back in July, I visited Cuba. Cuba's a communist country. They restrict the worship. Thankfully, the doors have been open. But our church has gone through some very hard times over the years in Cuba because of persecution. Um, And so I did have to register. I had to register as a religious worker. They did give me a visa. Uh, The people told me, they said, now take your liberty to preach, but don't say anything remotely political. Because we don't know who they are, but there will be some people in the audience that will be reporting to the government on everything you say. And they might even be church people for all we know. But So just be careful. But it's amazing how God has worked. And because of the persecution and all the things, that the church splintered over the years, couldn't really work together and all of this, but we're regrouping apostolics together. So we have the UPCI, and then we have another group that we're working with. We're pulling them in close. About, there's now about 65 of, of these apostolic churches in Cuba in the midst of great persecution. So they were having their, a big conference, really the first one, uh, after COVID, and the first one that we have the freedom to really come together. So it was a great privilege. Now, I'll just show you how God works. We're in a beautiful sanctuary that seats 500, the nicest Protestant church in the city of Havana. And here they've got these old Catholic churches, but no nice Protestant churches. This church was the best one. You know what happened? There were a group of South Korean evangelical missionaries They said, we want to come to Cuba, and we want to have conferences, and we want to build a building. But according to the law, they couldn't own any property. So somehow God led them to the apostolic pastor that we're working with, and they said, if you will allow us to build a building and have conferences several times a year, we'll put it in your name, the name of your church. So now we have this apostolic facility for our own conference that seats 500. Now, let me show you the power of a missions conference like this. So our missionary, he, he has to go in and out of the country. He can't reside there. But the same pastor that received this church, we have, a, we have a Bible school, but it has to operate just off the cuff. But we're trying to get our own property. And so this pastor found an amazing deal, seven acres in the city, 
a, a, a building, and but the, the big thing is it has room for a future building. So it would take $150,000 to secure this. So he tells our missionary, this is an incredible opportunity, but we've got to do it now or we're going to lose it. So our missionary context headquarters, where can I find $150,000? Well, Pastor G.A. Mangan, who's gone to be with the Lord about 10 years ago from Alexandria, Louisiana, years ago, God impressed upon his heart, raised money for a Bible school in Cuba. So maybe 15 years ago, and there's some that he inspired every month, they just keep sending an offering to headquarters. Our missionary didn't even know about this. He calls headquarters and says, is there an emergency fund where somehow I can get $150,000? And headquarters says, actually, we have a fund established by G.A. Mangan for a Bible school in Cuba. And yes, we have over $150,000 in that fund. So go ahead. Now... Cuba doesn't have relationships with the United States, and so they don't, have, they don't allow banking service. So this is the unknown part of the story. I guess it's okay to tell it. But uh, we're having this conference. We have several preachers coming from the U.S., and they were bringing several saints because Cuba is so, they're lacking in so many essentials that we're bringing food, medicine, clothes. And so a number of saints were going there with packed suitcases just to bring for the people of the church. Well, our missionary said, you're allowed to take up to $5,000 cash. So he said, every preacher, can you take $4,500 to buy the, the Bible school, and you can take $500 for your own expenses, and let's see how much money we can raise for the down payment. So here I am walking into Cuba with $4,500 for the Bible school. God makes a way where there is no way. The last night of that conference, I preached the final service, and so I decided to make it evangelistic, preached on faith. In that crowd of 500 people, 75 people received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Twenty-five people claimed miraculous healings. One was a little boy that broke his arm. Now, Cuba has nationalized medicine, so that sounds great, but what it actually means is they don't have supplies, they don't have medicine, they don't, you have to wait for months, and so they don't have plaster casts in the whole country. So when somebody breaks their arm, they just have to bind it in a splint and hope that it heals. So this little boy has this splint where you can see the bone right there while they prayed for him. God healed his arm, reconnected the bone, and delivered him. I'm not embarrassed to go to Havana, Cuba, and preach the gospel because I found out the gospel works in Havana, Cuba. I'm not ashamed to come to St. John, New Brunswick and preach the gospel because the gospel works in St. John, New Brunswick. I'm confident that today, this morning, whatever your need, the gospel will work for you. I want us to stand right now. The gospel of Jesus Christ still works today. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.